My friends, imagine standing at a crossroads where every path seems shrouded in mystery and uncertainty. You feel the weight of choices, each path promising different outcomes and experiences. It's in such moments that the cry of our hearts echoes the plea of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 133. Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. This profound verse isn't just a request. It's an admission of our need for divine guidance in the maze of life. Now, if you believe that God can make a difference in your life today, let us stand together in faith. I will pray a fervent prayer with you in the mighty name of Jesus. So watch until the end and open your hearts to receive the blessings of this prayer. We live in a world where our steps can easily veer off into paths of distraction or danger. The choices we make, the roads we take, the relationships we nurture, and the values we hold dear all require wisdom that transcends our limited understanding. In the Bible, the notion of steps often symbolizes our life's journey. It reminds us that life is not static, but a series of movements and decisions. And in this journey, we are not alone. We have a guide who promises to lead us through his word. Reflect on your life for a moment. Think about the times you felt lost, unsure of which direction to take. Remember the moments of decision, big or small, that shaped the course of your journey. At times, the way ahead may have seemed clear, illuminated by the light of your understanding. But how often have we found ourselves at a dead end, or worse, on a perilous path, simply because we trusted in our wisdom? This is why our hearts echo the psalmist's prayer. Guide my steps. It's a prayer of humility, acknowledging that we don't have all the answers. It's a prayer of faith, Trusting that God, who sees the end from the beginning, will guide us. It's a prayer of surrender, yielding our will and desires to his perfect plan. When we invite God to direct our steps, we are not giving up our freedom. Rather, we are exercising the highest form of freedom, choosing to walk in the light of his wisdom and love. Now... Consider the second part of the verse, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. This is crucial. Our journey is not just about finding the right path, but also about walking in righteousness. It's a recognition that our choices are not morally neutral. They can lead us either towards or away from the path of integrity and purity. Asking God to guide our steps is also a plea for him to protect us from the influence of sin and wrongdoing that can so easily entangle us. In our journey through life, there are many voices clamoring for our attention. Voices of society, culture, personal ambition, and even our desires. 
These voices can sometimes drown out the still, small voice of God leading us astray. But when we earnestly seek God's guidance, He promises to lead us. As Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6 reminds us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. This is a promise of divine direction and intervention. But how does God guide us? He guides us through His Word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, as Psalm 119 verse 105 declares. He guides us through the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit, who speaks to our hearts and minds, guiding us into all truth as affirmed in John 16 verse 13. He also guides us through wise counsel from others, through circumstances, and through the peace that comes from making decisions aligned with His will. Embracing God's guidance requires us to let go of our desire to control every aspect of our lives. It means trusting that even when the path seems uncertain or challenging, God is working out His perfect plan for us. It's about believing that He knows what is best for us and is capable of leading us to our destiny. This trust doesn't come easy, but it's a journey worth embarking on. As we navigate through the complexities of life, let us remember that our steps are ordered by the Lord, as Psalm 37 verse 23 tells us. When we commit our way to the Lord, He will establish our steps. This doesn't mean we won't face challenges or make mistakes, but it does mean that we can rest in the assurance that God is with us every step of the way, guiding, correcting, and leading us towards His purpose for our lives. So, today, as we stand at the crossroads of life, let's make a conscious decision to ask God to guide our steps. Let's pray with sincerity and open our hearts to His leading and also be willing to follow wherever He guides. In doing so, we will find that our paths become clearer, our decisions wiser, and our lives more aligned with His perfect will. Now, to all those within the sound of my voice, let us go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to pray this prayer with me so that you can have all the blessings of this prayer. You may also listen to this prayer daily as you build your faith and come in agreement. Let us pray to our gracious and loving God. Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, I come before you with a heart full of praise. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who guides the stars and directs our steps. Your majesty and power are beyond our understanding, yet you care for us deeply. I thank you, Lord, for your unending love, your grace, and the countless blessings you bestow upon us each day. Your goodness and mercy follow us, and for this, I am eternally grateful. Thank you, Father, for the gift of life, for the air I breathe, and for the love I experience from you 
and those around me. In this moment of prayer, I humbly ask for your forgiveness for my sins. Forgive me, Lord, for the times I have strayed from your path. As I seek your forgiveness, I also forgive those who have wronged me, releasing any bitterness and resentment in my heart. Cleanse me, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, as I step into this new day, I pray for divine direction in all that I do. Guide my thoughts, decisions, and actions according to your will. Help me to recognize your voice leading me and grant me the wisdom to understand the plans you have for me. May your word be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, illuminating every step I take. Protect me, O God, from missteps that lead away from your will. I rebuke any plans of the enemy to cause confusion or to lead me astray. In the name of Jesus, I declare that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Shield me from harm and keep me on the path of righteousness so that I may walk in your truth and integrity. Lord, I pray for strength and courage, especially in times of trial and uncertainty. When challenges arise, remind me that you are my rock and fortress. I declare in the name of Jesus that I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. In every difficult situation, grant me the fortitude to endure and the faith to trust in your unfailing love and power. I ask for clarity of purpose, O Lord. Reveal to me the unique path you have set for my life. Let my actions and choices reflect the calling you have placed upon me. In the name of Jesus, I declare that my life is aligned with your divine purpose, and I am walking in the destiny you have ordained for me. Gracious Lord, teach me obedience and surrender as I seek to understand your will. Help me to submit my will to yours, knowing that your plans are higher than mine. In every decision, let me seek your face and follow your guidance. I bind any spirit of rebellion or pride in the name of Jesus, and I declare a heart that is receptive to your leading. Guide me in my relationships, Father. Bless my interactions with others and help me to build connections that honor you. I pray for wisdom in my dealings and for the ability to show your love and grace in all my relationships. I declare that my relationships are guided by your love and wisdom, bringing glory to your name. Grant me peace and decision-making, Lord. In moments of uncertainty, fill me with your tranquility, ensuring that my choices align with your will. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke any spirit of anxiety and confusion. I declare that in every decision, your peace reigns in my heart, guiding me to make choices that honor you. I pray for trust in your timing, Almighty God. Help me to be patient as I wait for your guidance, knowing that you make all things beautiful in your time. 
I rebuke any spirit of impatience or frustration in the name of Jesus. I declare that I will wait on you with faith and confidence, trusting in your perfect timing for every aspect of my life. Empower me with courage to follow your lead, Lord. Even when the path is unfamiliar or challenging, strengthen my resolve to walk in faith. I declare in the name of Jesus that I am fearless in pursuing the direction you have for me. I rebuke any spirit of fear or hesitation and claim boldness and confidence in following your call. I pray for my loved ones, Lord. May your blessings, guidance, and protection be upon them as well. Let them experience your love and grace in their lives. I declare that they too are walking in your divine purpose and are shielded by your mighty hand. Lord, as I say this prayer, together with everyone listening, I am grateful for every heart that is humbled before you right now. We come in agreement as we pray for each other, knowing that you are in our midst as you promised. We claim victory in your name, declare healing for those in need, and thank you for your protection and guidance. Together, we ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to guide us and strengthen us in our daily walk with you. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering my prayer. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen. If you were blessed by this prayer, type the word amen in the comment section below. I declare that all the blessings of this prayer are now upon you. In the name of Jesus.
For your spirit, Jesus in the morning radio, and you're with Barbara. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I thank God this morning for another Wednesday morning. Look at it, January 31st, 2024. He has blessed us with a month into this new year, and so we're thankful unto him. Good morning to everyone. Welcome to Jesus in the Morning. I'm your host, Evangelist Barbara Pittman of Freedom Doors Ministries, and I come to you each weekday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And again, it is January the 31st, 2024. Uh, We're grateful unto Almighty God, and we thank him for another day. Yeah, and we pray for each other that the Lord will continue to remind us of himself and continue to bless us to walk in his way. Today I have uh, two testimonies I want to share. And uh, I believe after each one, I will share a little bit. Because in this hour, as believers, we have to tell the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Because of this, God here, he know, he see. And we can try and pretend to be something that we're not. Yeah, but the truth eventually will come out. And you know it better than anybody else. We might try to cover it up, escape it, you know, fix it up, make us feel like, no, the truth is the truth. So in this hour, I'm sharing the truth. I'm not perfect. I have to seek God just like anybody else. Yeah, there are times when I don't know what to do. And during these times, all I can do is stand still knowing that he is God. Believing, trusting him, that's all I can do. So while I wait on him, I find 
something that will bless others. Yeah, and that keep my mind from wandering. That keep the enemy at bay. That keep me from even allowing him to talk to me about anything. Because he want to tell you some stuff that will take you backwards and not bring you forward. So even as preachers, as pastors, and we got to tell the people the truth. And stop pretending that we got it. And we running on in it all the time. We never stop running in it. But the proof come out in the pudding. Yeah, the proof come out and you and then you find out these perfect people who was pretending to be so perfect, they got problems. Again, this morning, you'll find some pastors and preachers who don't believe in God. I'm just telling you the truth. They don't believe in Jesus, yet they are preaching all of this. And we're going to hear some things today that prove that. Yeah. How much time I spend with God, and I just love him so, and this, that, and the other, and then all of a sudden, bam, you fall. What happened? Because God is a lifter. He's a supplier of need, not just physical need, but spiritual need, too. When I find myself not where I feel I want to be, stand still, Barbara, and know that God is God. Pray the prayer of faith. Yeah, and it's already all right. Young man was teaching me yesterday, look, when you don't pray, that means that something else is there blocking you from praying, whether it be entertainment or whatever it is. And that comes from the devil. So look, he was teaching me, force the prayer, go on and pray. And you're going to find out in that prayer that you was being blocked. Now you feel so much better after prayer. You know you communicated with God. You fellowship with him. And when we go to him, we got to tell him the truth. Because many of us, we try to lie to him. And lie to God. He knows the very intent of our heart. His eyes are in every place. He's beholding the evil and the good. He see it all. We can hide it from man, but we cannot hide from God. I promise whether we believe in him or not. Because, see, some people don't believe there is a God. Some people don't think about God or what he what He consider, you know, what his, his feeling is on this, what he said about this. It, it, it's our thing, and many times we do what we want to do. We dress the way we want. We do anything we're big enough to do. I was talking to one of my spiritual sons, uh, yesterday, and when I tell you, when I go somewhere, if I need this young man to come, he's there. If I need him to come and fix music, whatever, he, he's there. So yesterday, he and I was talking, and he was sharing some things that he had gone through. And uh, when I began to break down the word, he said, because he don't want to gossip, he don't want to judge nobody. He don't want to think ill will. He he want to keep it real. His his pastor, he don't want to think bad about nobody. And anybody talking about other pastors and their pastor, he don't want to be in the midst. He, he don't want to hear that. And when people come against one pastor for the truth, he'll stand up. 
for the pastor. And so we we was talking and I we got to sin. We got to all down about fornication, adultery, and all of that. I said, but if you notice him, <laughs> and I had to laugh. I said, listen, when he said this right here, the first one without sin cast the first stone. I said, now that's what he said. He 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 was looking down on the ground writing. But after he said that, he gave it a, a pause. And when he looked up, everybody was gone. So he asked this woman, woman, where are your accusers? They was no longer there. So he wasn't accusing her any more either. He, he wasn't going to accuse her. The accusers was gone, which was man. Now she before God. He won't accuse her. I never heard this woman say, forgive me. I, I never heard her say that. But he did tell her to go and sin no more. <laughs> because without her opening her mouth, he forgave her, believe it or not. Louis used to say, the, the, the crowd of men that come out against her to stone her, they had been laying with her, some of them. And now she done got caught. She might tell on everybody, kill her, stone her to death. That's what Louis used to say. Yeah. But today, God is a forgiving God. We just need to seek the truth and love the truth, which Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's my light because he shines in darkness. And he showed me the way to go. So, if we can know this, God is a forgiving God, but I don't want to be doing stuff on purpose because I know he'll forgive me. No, Lord, that's that's not my heart. That That's not my thinking. If I find myself in error, I want to repent unto you. But I just don't want to live a repentance life knowing I got to repent. Uh, for what I'm, I'm automatically doing. It's a part of my daily ritual. It's a part of my daily life. I don't want to go through that, Lord. But sometimes people go through that and God has to bring them out. And do you know what? That was the time when he was bringing you out and you ran back in. So he allowed people to go through some things. It's a trial for you. Because when you had the opportunity to come out and stay out, you wouldn't do it. I sent a message to you. You heard the word, but you didn't obey. Basically, you're hard in your heart. So now you in now. I'm going to let you stay right there a while. And you're scared and you're nervous at certain times. And then I'll bring you out at the appointed time. He said the day you hear his voice, his word, in other words, Hard not your heart. Don't play around. When it's time to come on out, come on out. Don't, don't think because he's gracious and merciful, kind and loving. Don't, don't think he won't get your punishment. And he know how to punish us. Listen, I thought when I got saved at one point, all my troubles was over. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Oh, I did wrong. I stole from the bank, you know, kited money, da-da-da-da-da. I'm spared now. I'm saved. <laughs> Listen, wherever we sow it, that's where we're going to reap. If you sold it to the flesh, you're going to reap it to the flesh. If you sold it to the spirit, you're going to reap it to the spirit. Sowing to the flesh, and and you came to God, you're going to reap some things. But guess what? It's like he lays out cushion down for you. It's like that grace and that mercy and his love kicks in. It kicks in and it, it, it strengthens you to go through whatever reaping you have to go through with ease. I, I had to reap what I sowed in the flesh. I had kited all the checks. I had huh? three years. That was nothing for what I did. 19 months, that's all I did on the three. And while I was there, other stuff was still coming in. So I got to stay on top of my game here right back and ask the prosecutor, can we, no prosecutor, no law, can, can, can we run it concurrent? That when I get through with the three, I, I've done it for all of it. He, he, he said, yeah. I'm going to fix it so when you get done, you're done. When you come home, you don't have to be on probation, parole, pro nothing. Listen, that was God. Do you hear what I say? Even before I fully came to him, he gave me grace and mercy and he loved me. And these people treated me Oh, my goodness. Like I was fragile and I might crack. He did not want to give me those three years. You hear me? He did not want to send me to prison. I know you hear about the system. Oh, they just want black people in the system. Oh, this, that, and the other. Listen, warning comes before destruction. God kept warning me and warning me. The courts kept warning me, threatening me. Don't come back. I don't want to see you again. Well, they didn't give me nothing. They didn't do nothing to me. Get on out of here on probation. Get on out of here on house arrest. And then the house arrest officer treated me like I was going to crush and crumble. The favor of the Lord, and I didn't even know it. Do y'all hear what I'm telling you today? We're going to reap what we sow. If we reap it to the sow it to the flesh, we're gonna reap it to the flesh. If we sow it to reap it, sow it to the spirit, we're gonna reap it to the spirit. But if you came to God just as you was, he already knew what you did. He already knew the intent of your heart. He already know who you are. And sometimes we don't want to stand up and be what God will have us to be, the true men and women of God. We got to drag somebody else in on it. I know women go stay with men because they don't want to get their own place and stand up. The, 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 the man already got a place, already paying bills. Say, but she'll go over there and lay in place. What? 
Move in over there. You're going to reap what you sow. It's coming up. We got to get out while we can and stay out. Yeah. Let me tell you, when God speaks, that's it. You, you, you don't have to go to the pastor. You don't have to seek the scriptures. Believe what he said. And if you can't do tell him about it. Lord, I want to obey you. But this is a very hard thing. And unless you bring me out, I can't come out. I can't do this by myself. You got to talk to me. And not talk to him and purpose in your heart. This is what you still like. Uh-uh. You got to turn from the sin. Once you repent, you're turning away from and turning your back to the wrongdoing, to the sin. Because he said, we know it's wrong and we do it. It's a sin. My goodness and Zion. Yeah. So he and I, we talked about these things. And I told him, people will condemn you now. You let people know your business, they will condemn you. The person. But if God is using somebody, that's a horse of a different color. But you got to be careful who you tell your business to. So I told him this. I said, now listen, let me tell you something. <laughs> I said, I cannot point my finger at nobody and their wrongdoing without thinking of myself. Now, I, I can't get with sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so and and talk about you and your situation when I did worse than you did. Now, I got to tell you what God said. If God speaks, I got to obey. But that's the spirit of the Lord that's not bothering. That's not my business anyway. I can't hold nothing against nobody to achieve you. You're a drunkard. What? You still on dope? What in the world? I've never done drugs, but guess what? Sold them. What you say, Bob? Yeah. So dope. And I'm going to talk about the drug abuser. I drank Crown Raw, Budweiser. It's a few other drinks I had. But listen, I'm going to talk about you. When I I, I wasn't a, a drug, a alcohol abuser, but I drank my fair share what I wanted to. Let's say it that way. I'm going to talk about your fornicative life when I had a, 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 a big one huh? <laughs> for years. And, I, and you often heard me say that who sleep by themselves? What? What woman sleeps by herself at night? Is she crazy? When God came in, when he fully came in, when I allowed him to save me, sanctify me, and fill him Fill me with his spirit. All of that left. All of it had to go. I had that head cussing demon. That left. Well, yes, it did. I didn't need it no more. I didn't want it no more. I didn't have to sleep with John on Monday and Tuesday and Gary on Wednesday and Thursday. Friday and Saturday, here come Mike. No, I don't got to do all of that. Before I received the Lord, I was in bondage to sin. 
But once I received him, his son came and set me free. And whom the son set free is free indeed. Nobody's telling me nothing. We can make all excuses we want to, but he's not in there working. Because we have not turned these things loose. Now, when we turn it loose, he'll come in and fix it 100%. Because you want to let it go, you no longer want it. Mm-hmm. I learned that about myself, about many things. And sometimes I would try to make excuses for it. Mm-hmm. And the Lord would just come and just show me. <laughs> that's an excuse. That's not even real. That's what you're saying, but that's not what it is. That's what you want to continue to do. Yeah. I wanted that custom to go right away, immediately. Because, again, I was afraid I was going to cuss in front of the bishop, the church. I was afraid I was going to get up to testify and, you know, saying something about what God was doing and cuss about it right there in the house of the Lord. So, Lord, I need you to deliver me from this. I wanted it to go, and he took it. Well, we can't talk about nobody, and we can't condemn nobody. My testimony is my testimony. Your testimony is yours. But I know God has said what he meant, and he meant what he said. But there's always grace and mercy for us. But how long, Lord? How long do I have to operate of this and not turn it loose? Not desire to let it go? Yeah. Because the scripture said this, and I found myself, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Yeah, I can't condemn nobody. I'm new, but I can't condemn nobody. The old Barbara is gone. I buried her. But guess what? I still don't have the right to condemn nobody. The scripture says there is now no condemnation. Oh, if we're walking in Christ Jesus. If we got God. Hallelujah. Yeah. He's not going to hold us and keep condemning us. Because we, we're walking in the light now. We, we found our holiness is right. And with our holiness, no man is seeing God. So daily, I need to make a choice to walk in holiness. So I can see the move of God in my life daily. I see how he's blessing me financially. I see how when I walk by faith and not by sight, he come in and just fix it all. I don't even have to be concerned over it. Yeah. So I'm thankful unto him this morning. And I wanted to share that today because that come up. Yeah, that, that, that came up. Hallelujah. And God is faithful. Yeah. God is faithful. And he's not like man. He won't do you like man do you. You know, if man was God, had the power that God, oh, many of us would have been gone. Poof, be gone. Many of us. But God is gracious and merciful and, and, and long-lasting. All his patience is beyond what we could ever imagine. Yeah, he's got patience like that. 
So listen, I wanted to share that, and then we're going to uh, one, well, let me get the first testimony in, and then we'll come back with the second one. I was standing there on the train tracks about to jump, and I remember I told my son that I was going to take him to Chuck E. Cheese, and um, I had this thing with my son where if I say it, I have to do it. And the only reason I didn't jump was because I promised him that I was going to take him to Chuck E. Cheese. It was at that point I realized one of the greatest gifts that God has given me was him. I seen God at that moment through the lens of my son. My name is JJ Allen, and I am the founder of the Heartbeat brand. I currently live in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm here because God pretty much sent me to Baltimore. Uh, he told me that this would be the region that we would see a great revival in. And so after 18 years in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, I packed up everything and moved to Maryland in search of the next awakening. At the age of five, my father was used in miracles. And so I was in a service and a woman was visibly healed by God's power. And um, I was sitting there listening to everybody praise God. And I asked God, can I do that? What did she, what did she get healed from? Uh, I wasn't paying too much attention, but I know how she came in. Um, she wasn't like that by the time she got to, she was able to walk on her own and move on home by the time she got to the altar. And sitting there watching everybody praise God, I asked God, can I do that? And he said, uh, you can um, at age five. And I said, will I do that? And he said, you will. And uh, for the most of my life, I went on this search of trying to find that same God that I seen in the service. And um, oddly enough, I would play church in my house and, you know, pray and do all these things. Um, I know my family was glad that I finally got out of the phase of asking for dolls. I would ask for dolls and toys and they would, you know, why? And I would literally break the heads or parts of the dolls off and then be in the room praying for them to put them back together again for hours. I, I, I make the joke that that's where my uh, patience when it comes to healing and miracles come from with those toys. And all of my life, I've pretty much had this um, doubt of God's existence. And so pretty early on, um, before I was able to read books or go to seminary or do these things, he would make sure that he would come to me and give me a personal encounter so that I would know that he was real. And so for the most of my life, um, from that one time sitting in church asking him about the miracles, he's pretty much, uh, it's pretty much evolved from there. What was one of those first encounters that, that you remember? Uh, first encounter, I would say, um, I would have these different things happen, and I didn't realize what they were. Um, when I moved to Pennsylvania, um, I was about 13 years old, and during that time, I pretty much lived in almost like the mountain area, almost, and for the most part, I didn't have really too many friends. Everybody's houses were spread apart, and I tell everyone, I, for the most part, um, was shy and timid and a lot of times, and so they didn't have a lot of friends, and um, I would have these different encounters. I would go through these phases and seasons where I would just pray and talk to God, um, one day hoping to be like preachers that I seen. I didn't realize that being there in the house talking and praying, I had the relationship that I was seeking after, but it didn't look like preaching, so I didn't I think that's what it was. 
And so um, I would go through these phases in the house. And so for a year, I would be in the basement praying every morning at 4 a.m. And then I went through another phase for like six months. I was sitting in the car, in my mother's car, and I would sit there at midnight every night. There was always these weird little meeting places between God and I. And um, early on, I had this way of, I was always singing. They used to call me jukebox. I was always singing or chanting or singing some little song um, pretty much to God, me and God on this uh, love fest. And so as I began to grow with that, um, eventually I would say I was sitting in a service and growing up in uh, Pentecostal church, we're used to God in a certain way. You know, uh, shouting, dancing loud, and and we was used to that. And so I was always used to God showing up like that. But I always said there has to be more to God than this. And I'll never forget being in a service where for almost an hour, God's presence came so strong that the entire room, babies included, sat completely silent. No one said a word for an hour. Uh, my father got up to preach and could not preach. He stood there silent in the entire church. Hundreds of people there sitting there silent for almost an hour straight. And it was at that point that I realized that God is bigger than my box. God is bigger than what we've made him. So I've been on this quest to find God in every way possible. Been on a quest to find God in every situation I could find him in. And so um, God would lead me eventually to the woods. I would literally go to the woods to pray, and um, I think the greatest part of my testimony would have to be that I would go to the woods, and it taught me about God as much as it taught me about myself. Um, I no longer fear being in front of crowds because when I was there in the woods, I would be praying for hours and look up, and literally a bear would be behind me. There was a bear behind me, and there was some other, I don't know if it was a coyote, I don't know exactly what it was, a coyote, I don't know. Uh, you know, growing up in North New Jersey, we've never seen any of those, so I don't know exactly what it was. But to look up, and there would be a bear behind me, um, I don't know, I would go out there praying, and creation would be there, and they wouldn't do anything. They would just sit there and watch. I would sing and scream and shout to God. And they would sit there and watch the entire time. Um, God gave me an audience with the creation. And so that, I think, is the biggest part. Uh, one of the biggest parts of my testimony is that, you know, he used, I, I, I learned God in a whole different wavelength. I, I've really learned how to uh, worship him and to love him in that regard. Um, I think one of the other major key things for me was um, I love the sky. I love looking at um, sun going down and the sun rising and things of that nature. And I'm often throughout the day singing little songs to God, um, talking about how much I love him. Periodically, uh, God would tell me, go to the window or look up, and the sky would be in the most amazing streaks of pink and purple or lights. And um, he'll often say, I love you too. Um, it's been a thing between us. Uh, I've really learned the art of loving God. I've really learned um, beyond being a preacher, beyond being a pastor, um, any of that, I've learned how to love God. And 
I think in this season of my life, I'm learning how much he loves me back. Um, uh, being in church, I think we hear the message of John 3:16. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And, you know, we hear that, but I don't think it really resonates with us. I think sometimes um, church and flaws in how we see ourselves can really make us stay away from God, you know. And so in this season or in this phase of my life, I'm really learning, I think, perhaps the greatest miracle of how much he loves me. Um, beyond my flaws, beyond what I think I'm incapable of, I'm learning exactly how much and how strong and how hard God fights for those that he loves. If you could encapsulate what God, what Jesus has done in your life mm-hmm. for these last 30 years or say, mm-hmm. that, you've, that you've been on this earth, mm-hmm. uh, what can you say he has done in your life? Overall, He's allowed me to see me through his eyes. Um, for years, I just, I don't know, I think I've seen myself in a negative way. I think sometimes we see ourselves through the perceptions of others and what others say about us, and um, we start to believe that. And so no matter what God said or I think he said about me, for years, I, nah. <laughs> for years, I, I shied away from who he made me to become what I thought everybody else uh, said I was. Um, I shied away from purpose to fulfill everybody else's expectations. And so I think the greatest thing that he's done is allowed me or has begun to allow me to see myself through his eyes. I started to see that I really am loved. I think the greatest gift that God has given me is my son. And he was about four years old. And I was going through a rough phase in my life in ministry, and I was searching for God. Um, My biological father died, and then 13 months later, my stepfather dies. And so uh, I never got a chance to grieve either one. Um, Baby boy, I'm in college, I'm working in ministry, all of these things going on. And I said, God, where are you? I couldn't find him. Um, I'm in pain. I am taking... Um, drugs, prescription drugs, and things like that just to try to sleep the pain away. And um, I'm taking um, these pills that was prescribed to me, and I look over to the right, and um, I look out the window, and there's this black figure that just says, come. And I started to go towards the window to jump out of the window, but I just didn't have the strength or the energy to get up. And so that was the first time. And then the second time would be um, I'm in Newark, New Jersey for a ministry event, and I'm still asking God, where are you? I don't feel you. I don't know that you're still here. If you're really real, I need you to make an appearance. I need you to do something like you did when I was a kid. And it didn't come that way. Um, I was standing there on the train tracks about to jump, and I remember I told my son, that I was going to take him to Chuck E. Cheese. And um, I had this thing with my son where if I say it, I have to do it. And the only reason I didn't jump was because I promised him that I was going to take him to Chuck E. Cheese. It was at that point I realized one of the greatest gifts that God has given me was him. I seen God at that moment through the lens of my son. 
And so I think overall, the greatest miracle God has done for me and in me is allowing me to see him uh, and allowing me to see myself through him. I'm seeing who J.J. Allen is um, through the eyes of Jesus, not through um, the prophet, not the pastor. I'm seeing the man, uh, the man that hurts, the man that cries, the man that wars, the man that is full of flaws, the man that has failures. I'm seeing him and I'm seeing what Jesus has to say about that man. Okay, I'm going to say this. If we make a start with God, let's stay with God. Let's let nothing separate us from the love. And many times I know that we get caught up and we want this and we want this thing so bad. Let's use children for people who don't have children. Some people want children so bad they'll do anything. Go against God, go against nature, go against everything to have children. Some people want to be in power. They'll go against God, they'll have people killed, they'll let people die as long as they get to be and feel that they are in power. We we don't need all of that. We have a risen Savior. We have Almighty God who have all power. There's no higher power. Yeah, we have Jehovah God, the God of heaven and earth. We have Jehovah God that so loved us, he gave his only begotten son. He allowed his son to suffer. Bleed, hang, die, conquer all, rise with all power. Huh? We have him. So there's no need for us to be in want so bad that we give up God because we so want something. We we, we give up God because he, he didn't move on what we wanted him to move on, which won't work together for your good if he gave it to you. Let's stay with God. I don't care what come your way. He's bigger than any situation or troubles we are ever have. I'm telling you from experience, God can move in any situation. Not only can he move in the situation where it'll work together for your good, but guess what? He can completely move the entire situation or the entire trouble. He knew the day in 1993 that I would come to him. He knew this already. So he had the patience from my childhood to adulthood for me to be get ready to receive him in 1993. He knew all I did and all I would do. He knew once I come to him, I would stay. He knew it, so he waited patiently. It was me that had no patience. It was me, oh, I'm just longing for this. I just want this. I just want this. If I give that to you, 
it will destroy you because it won't work together for your good. It'll have you crying in the midnight hour. It'll have you doing things that's against you, your own self. So have patience and wait for it. Let patience have a perfect work. And guess what? You're going to be entire and you won't want for nothing. Because you'll know how to wait on me and know that I'm coming at the appointed time that this thing is going to work together for your good. But many times we don't want to let go so God can. So we keep holding on, holding on. For what? Let it go. It is already all right in Jesus' name. It's already all right. Yeah. So, look, we are going to our next uh, testimony. And uh, after this one, I'll come back. And uh, But today, our topic, I forgot to share that earlier. Our topic is God can move in any situation. God can. Things look so bad. Oh, my goodness. Oh, what am I going to do? Trust the Lord. Wait on him. Go and help someone else that you can help. Take your mind off this stuff. You put it on the altar. You gave it to God, and I walk away. And I know many people, oh, it's not that easy. Oh, but it could be if you want to. If you want it to. When you want to do something wrong, commit a sin, you do, huh? Yeah. You keep your mind on that. You, you you can do that. Leave things in the hand of the Lord. Your situations and your troubles, leave them in the hand of God. Go boldly before the throne of grace and make your petition known to Almighty God. Make your request known unto him. And once you tell him about it, leave it there. Don't keep Bob, he heard you the first time. Walk by faith and not by sight. Try to take your mind off it. Because if you keep thinking of it, you're going to keep walling in it. And you can't do nothing until he comes. So it's best just to relax and wait on him. Hallelujah. I feel all right right there. So look, we're going to the next testimony. The pastor who had an affair. Yeah, let's take a listen. But this specific person joined our group and one day she asks for us to go to a hospital to pray for a friend's grandmother who's in a coma. When I make it to the hospital, she shows up. And while we're there waiting, we start talking about the things of God. We start talking about how, how God is moving and all these different things. And she says, I got to tell you something, though. I can't stop thinking about you. I said, what? When I'm like washing the dishes while I'm at work, even when I'm talking to my own husband because she was married. And at this time, I was married to. Throughout the day, all day, I, I can't stop thinking about you. You're just in my head. And the first thing that I can utter out of my mouth was, you shouldn't have told me that. And I went to her job with the intention to try to do something, to try to, like, physically hug her, kiss her, whatever it was. And she resisted. She fought. But eventually, she gave in. That officially started a physical affair. I heard for the first time God's audible voice, and he says, if you have sex with her, you shall surely die. I'm Pastor Noel Rescio. I'm from Dykeman. It's Manhattan, New York. And um, I am co-founder to Jubilee Hill Ministry and the pastor of the ICU Church. ICU stands for the Intensive Christ Unit. I converted at the age of 24. 
But I grew up uh, Catholic with my parents. Um, I'm my dad's only child and my mom's fifth child. They both had. They were both at the age of 40 when they had me. And uh, my dad was very religious. Um, he comes from a very poor uh, background. So does my mom. Um, very low education. His last grade that he completed was eighth grade. My mom's last grade that she completed was in third grade. A lot of the things that other kids had, a lot of the resources, a lot of the abilities that they had, I didn't have. But I didn't complain too much because, to be honest, what they gave me was better than some of the things that the other kids had. They gave me a really great upbringing. It was a really tight-knit household. Me and my siblings, we were all pretty close. But that didn't stop us from living in a poor neighborhood. And it didn't stop us from poor attitudes. I grew up in, as I mentioned, Dykeman, specifically, you know, Sherman. For those people who know, my neighborhood is not the friendliest of neighborhoods. It's pretty gangster. Not the most gangster, but gangster nonetheless. And I grew up watching my siblings, who were at least 10 years older than me. So when I was five, the next youngest sibling was 15. And I was exposed to some pretty heavy stuff. I saw a lot of the street life inside my home. And I heard what was happening outside in the street inside the home. And although I was brought up in a very strict religious upbringing, Catholic upbringing, I always wanted to be a gangster. I wanted to be a G. But I never lost my relationship with Jesus. From a very young age, I would communicate with God on my own, heavily, always, consistently, but still giving in to the desires of the flesh. That's kind of going to be a resounding theme in my testimony, battling with my strong relationship with Jesus, but at the same time losing the battle against my flesh. I started to suffer depression from a very young age. My mom suffers from bipolar disorder. So sometimes she would go through seasons of very low lows, and I couldn't understand it as a child. As a matter of fact, when I was about four or five years old, I dropped a glass of soda. The glass shattered. The soda spilled. It was filled to the brim. And I remember my mom pulling out a knife, and she walked slowly toward me, and my dad tackled her. And I remember that image, and I carried that with me. I thought to myself, if my mom is willing to stab me, I don't care about nobody else. What you going to do to me that my mom wouldn't already do to me anyway? So I walked with that on my back. But the older I got, the more I started to think about it. And the more I thought about it, the more it hurt. And I started to fall into a depression. Man, I can't, I can't even describe how bad it is, but I'm going to try. It would come in waves of my life seasons, sometimes weeks at a time, sometimes months at a time, but never more than a year. And every time it came back, it came back worse. I would cope with a lot of different methods. I use a lot of different things to deal with that pain. It's tough because I felt alone even though I was the brightest smile in the room. I used drugs to cope. I started drinking alcohol at a very young age, 13. Started smoking weed at 15. And those things worked only to numb the pain that I felt. But I still felt terrible about myself. And the only kind of drug, not explicitly a substance, that kind of helped me to actually start to feel good about myself was when I participated in acts of sexual immorality. It was only when I talked to girls and they gave me the attention and I became the object of their lust that I started to feel good about myself. The drugs and the substances numbed me, but the girls made me feel good about myself. 
But I always wanted love, and I never wanted to settle for something superficial. And I was tired of feeling so sad all the time, knowing that even though I defeated one bout of sadness, that sooner or later another and greater bout of sadness would come against me. I was in the street with my boys, my brother, his boys. And one day my brother comes to me and he asks me, he tells me with his girl at the time, he says, oh, her cousin who lives in Florida, she needs a Sweet 16 partner because she's coming here for her birthday. It happens to take place in July. And I thought, hmm, what kind of girl needs a Sweet 16 partner? Girls find Sweet 16 partners all the time. She must be ugly. <laughs> she wasn't. Little did I know God was answering my petition because a year before he makes that request, I was very unlucky looking for love. I would feel so sad all the time. One night I had cried so bad. I mean, to this day, it was one of the worst cries I've ever had, alone in the night, in bed, soaked pillow. And I told God, if I don't meet somebody, a significant somebody, by June 1st, I'm going to turn into a man whore. I'm going to just do my thing. The last week of May, I meet this girl. And I didn't know it at the time, but this girl would change my life. I would be her sweet 16 partner, but down the line, she would end up becoming my partner in Christ, my partner in life, and my partner as parents, and quite frankly, one of the greatest, if not the greatest gifts that God has given me on this earth. We met. We had a great time practicing for the Sweet Sixteens. We ended up falling in love. We weren't in Christ, so we were couples in the world, and we did all the things that couples in the world would do. When I say in the world, I mean people who are not in Christ. We we had sex. We did all the things that we needed to do that we thought we needed to do. But I still could not defeat the flesh. I still gave myself up to a lot of the sexually immoral things that I was doing before, especially when I would go through the seasons of downness. When the depression and the sadness would kick in, I needed the boost of energy. I needed the self-esteem. The alcohol wasn't cutting it. I couldn't smoke enough weed in order to numb the pain, it wouldn't be enough to try to talk to girls, multiple girls. At the age of 24, I met her when I was 17, she was 16. At the age of 24, I had my first encounter with Christ in a different way. I was invited to a Bible study. There was a girl who, she wasn't even Christian, but for some odd reason, she wanted to have a Bible study on her birthday. And she wanted everybody to come. She wanted all her friends to come. And I wasn't one of the friends she invited, but my wife, who wasn't Christian either yet, was invited and she told me, I think it'd be a good idea if you come too. When I show up to this Bible study, this lady, very small lady, but my, oh my God, is she a giant in Christ. She starts to preach Jesus in a way I've never heard anyone preach Jesus before, at least not the way that I was used to. And when she's done with the preaching, right, we're in a home and she finishes ministering the gospel. She asks us, there were about 15 or 20 of us in this room, she asks us if we want to accept Christ. And I told her I already knew Christ, but she said, you, you, you may know Christ, but have you accepted Christ? Because Christ makes everyone an offer. And just because you know him doesn't mean that you have accepted his offer for salvation. She's making the offer to everyone. She's asking everyone, do they want to accept Christ? I wasn't ready until she comes up to me. And she starts to prophesy about my life. She starts to tell me, God has saved your life numerous times. 
I told you, I was in the street. I, try, I tried to live like a thug, but I was a scholar at school. I was phenomenal at school. I was a natural leader for my baseball team. I couldn't shake the streets. I've had guns pointed at my face. I've been in drive-bys, fights, rumbles. I've used countless drugs. And she tells me, this is your last chance. God's warning you. He saved your life, and she starts to name to me in my ear specific instances, situations that happened that only me and my wife would know. My wife, my wife met her that day, and I start to realize that the power of God is flowing through this woman, and what she's saying is true. She asked me if I want to do the prayer of faith I accept because I felt an overwhelming flow of God's power and presence at that time I couldn't resist. I knew I needed what she had. I didn't know what she had. I knew I needed what she had. And she told me that what she has was nothing special, but that I could have it too if I had just accepted Christ's offer. And so I did. Mm. Now, Noel, before before you move on there, yeah. what were some of those things that she mentioned that got your attention? That time that I had the gun in my face, the people that were in that room, I didn't tell them about that. I tried to hide my secret gangster thug life. I didn't, I didn't want them to know about that stuff. It's not that I was ashamed. I just tried to carry myself a little bit like a mafioso. She told me that I was looking, I was staring down the barrel of a gun, and that the next time that I was staring down the barrel of a gun, that the guy would pull the trigger. I thought I was going to die when that guy held that gun. It was a young kid. It was a young kid. He may have been 13, 14. Mm. My friends thought that I was a goner because some of my friends were there. They threw coats over their faces because they thought they were about to see bloodshed. And I told the guy, go ahead and shoot. And he didn't. The Lord, for some reason, had mercy on me at that moment. So when she talks to me and whispers in my ear, she told me about that moment. There was no way she could have known that. Not the way that she described it. She talked about my friends running, hiding. She told me how I felt. She told me the color of the, the color of the barrel of the gun. Mm. And she said the next time would be my last time. So I accepted Christ. When I accepted Christ, I didn't understand that it was a journey. I didn't understand it be, that it was an adventure, an odyssey, so to speak, because when you come to Christ, you are born again. And I was born again. And I didn't carry myself as such. I continued to do a lot of the things that I did before. I still hung out with some of the people that I hung out with that I shouldn't have hung out with. And so I was in and out of this Bible study because the Bible study was run that day. But the lady, the woman, who happened to be the co-pastor of my old church, she decided, she was led by God, that she would run Bible studies for about a year there every Wednesday. And so many people came in and out of that home and heard the word of God. I would say anywhere between 30 or 40 people congregated in that home, not at any given time, but in a large time frame. I was in and out of the Bible studies, in and out of the street. I was hearing the word of God. Sometimes I was consistent. Sometimes I wasn't. But then some of the people in my, my neighborhood had gotten shot. Some of the people had gotten arrested. I kept hearing the testimony, the prophet, excuse me, the prophecy that she said over my life, and I said, it, it could be me, I'm probably next, I'm probably going to go down too. Meanwhile, I still couldn't shake the depression, it was still coming in, and I still couldn't shake the sexual immorality, because it was still coming in and out. My wife, she wasn't my wife at the time, she caught me, and I wasn't even doing anything explicit the time that she caught me, even though I had done things that were explicit. 
she decides that she's going to leave me. We had been together at this point seven years. And so the only girl I've ever had that I've known for seven years decides that she's going to leave me. And I talk to her and I'm pleading with her and I'm like, stay with me. I didn't do anything crazy. I didn't do anything serious, even though I had done on other occasions, even though that time that she called me, it wasn't. I guess it was justice. And she tells me, the only way I'll come back to you is if you look for Christ. And don't look for Christ because you want to get with me. She says, look for Christ because if he wants us to be together, we'll be together. I had done Bible study for over a year, and I had never visited the church that this lady was giving Bible study for. A lot of people would have given up. Some people just show up to a person's home once and think that they did a good job. And maybe they do, and that's God's will. But this lady taught us God's word for over a year, hmm. even though a lot of us were inconsistent. From that group of 30 or 40 people that were in that Bible study, only three of us got baptized. Me, my wife, and a very close friend of ours who ended up becoming our roommate. We fi I finally come to the church, and when I get to the church, I get there early, and the church starts to get packed. As people start walking into the church, people look at me in my face. They see my demeanor because I was a bit of a thug, and nobody wants to sit next to me. Before you know it, half an hour, 45 minutes past service is about to start officially. All the seats are filled except the two seats to my left, the two seats to my right, a couple of seats in front of me and the seats behind me, and everyone is smushed together except for me. I'm sitting by myself. And that overwhelming sadness that I fought my entire life comes in like a storm. And the lady who preached that day happened to be the sister of the co-pastor who gave the Bible study for over a year. And she said, on my way over here, I was going to give a message, but I changed my message because God asked me to change my message. And she preached and she taught about an example. She said, there's a little dog here somewhere. There's a dog, somebody who was a pr precious treasured dog. She even started about a dog who lived inside the home and a family had finally given birth to a child and the dog was no longer allowed in the house. The dog was kicked out of the house, and one day they forgot they left the door open to the house. The dog was in the house. When they found the dog, he had blood on his mouth. They thought that the dog had did something to the baby. And when they had rushed in to check on the baby, they realized that there was a dead snake next to the baby, and the dog was just trying to defend that baby. And she said, you are the dog that I'm referring to is in this service today. Oh, man, I went to the altar during the altar call, and I cried my eyes out, man. I, cry, I can't really, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how I didn't have enough sleeves to wipe my boogers <laughs> and tears with the way I cried after that altar call. I didn't even finish the service. I, I left. I, I just I couldn't stop crying. I walked out into the rain, and I said, Father God, I'm finally going to do it your way. My life changed after that day. God put a covering over me, some kind of spiritual anesthesia, I don't know what happened exactly, but I do know that whatever I was fighting, that sadness, the sexual immorality, it may have been casted out, but it was still roaming. And I started to enter into ministry so powerfully. If there was a department for it or there was an initiative for it, I got into it. Hmm. I preached in the street. The co-pastor that preached in that home, she no longer was preaching in that home. She started visiting homes, homes of witches homes of people with broken marriages, you name it. She brought us there. I was a rookie in Christ, and there were so many people in this church, and not many people 
let alone were invited or were there in those missions. I preached in nursing homes. I preached in prison in the Bronx of ECBC, Rikers and Queens. I preached in bookings downtown. Man, I preached everywhere, anywhere and everywhere. I did a radio show for our church. I was driving the van. I was on fire, man, for God. And very quickly, I had less than two years converted. I got baptized, and they told me that in order to get baptized, I needed to be married because I was in fornication. So I, on a last-minute effort, me and my wife decided we're going to get married next Friday. It was like a Thursday. It was like a Wednesday or a Thursday. We're going to get married on Friday. We got baptized on Saturday, and we began our public ministry on a Sunday. This is all within a year. Heavy into ministry and very quickly called into leadership for this English ministry because the church I attended was a Spanish church. I could feel God calling me into this English ministry because I had dominated the English language in such a way, well, both languages, Spanish and English, in such a way that I could make the smoothest transition for God's glory. And I did. Me, my wife, and our roommate, we were called into leadership together. A lot of people questioned why we got called into leadership so quickly. We had just converted. But a lot of people understood right away once they got close to us and they realized who we were and what we were doing and how God was flowing through us that God called us. There was a special day before I ever got baptized, before I ever began my special, my uh, public ministry, that there was a town hall meeting in the church. And during this town hall meeting, God had revealed to me something that I needed to share with the church publicly, and no one had ever heard me speak up until this point. And I told the church what God had ministered to me. And I said, a lot of times we say time is money, but the truth is that time is much more valuable than money. And if God wants us to tithe, give 10% of what we make, our income, then how much more valuable would our our tithe for for time be? And God ministered to me that for the people who are unable to give tithes with money, God is calling you for a tithe of time. We have a fresh set of 24 hours. He wants us to give even the people who did have money. He wants us to give two hours and 24 minutes of every day dedicated to him. I ministered that so powerfully to the church, and from that point forward, that launched me into public ministry, that launched me into ministry in the street. A lot of people were inviting me into all these different ministries. That's what started it. Two years after we got baptized and married, my wife and I, we had our first child in 2015, and everything was glorious up until this point. When she had the baby, she was going through baby blues that eventually turned into postpartum depression. I also fell right back into the depression that God had numbed me from. It was new for me. I hadn't hadn't experienced it in two years. That was the longest I lasted without feeling it. I thought it was gone. You can fact check me, but that was around the time where there were four blood moons. There were two in 2014 and there were two in 2015. In order to cope with the depression, I thought I would bring it to God, and I did. I decided I was going to do 30 nights of prayer in our church because another part of our ministry to the leaders of the church, we had had been given keys to the church and we could pray on the altar at night. And man, we would pray all the time at night from like 12 o'clock midnight all the way to like four or five in the morning to then take a nap for like two hours and go to work. We thought to ourselves, we said, if we did it when we were in the world, when we were clubbing, spend money on bottles of alcohol, we might as well do it for God. So that's what we did. So I started an initiative, a 30-day prayer, a 30-night prayer in the church. 
because we thought that the, the four blood moons were very prophetic. They all landed on four Jewish holidays. Two of them were Passover. The other two were on the Feast of Tabernacles, on or around. And a lot of people started to join us because they were afraid, or at least they wanted to be ready for the coming of the Lord. We didn't know what was happening. A person joined our group who, a lot of people joined our group, but this specific person joined our group, and one day, about 10 to 15 days into the prayer, right, because it was a 39 prayer initiative, she asks for us to go to a hospital to pray for a friend's grandmother who's in a coma. She puts it in a group chat that we had. I waited hours to see if somebody would respond because I wanted to be with my wife who had just given birth to our child. She's about a month postpartum. She can't come to the church. At least she was advised not to come to the church as much as she used to, as much as she'd like. And in reality, looking back at it, I should have probably focused on that ministry rather than the ministry in the church and just delegated. But I didn't know it at the time. And I thought that the right thing to do was to be in the altar at church. But what I should have did was created an altar at home. But nonetheless, I focused on the altar at church and I focused on the leadership ministry rather than the ministry in my home. And in some ways neglected my wife, who was going through postpartum depression, who was with our newborn baby. I go to the hospital. I respond to this request because I, no one responded to the request. Nobody responded to her text. She said, can somebody come to the hospital and help me pray for my friend's grandmother who's in a coma? We want to see if God will do a miracle. Or at the very least, she can accept Jesus. I waited hours. Nobody responded. So I responded. I said, I'll go. Like the good leader that I am, I can't let this person down. I'll neglect my own personal life and I'll show up for her on the needs of Christ, and which is a good thing, but there's, there's priorities. When I make it to the hospital, I made it first. That girl, she shows up. And another friend of ours who accepted, but accepted after I accepted the offer to go pray, he's not there yet. We're waiting, and we're waiting for her friend. And while we're there waiting, we start talking about the things of God. We start talking about how, how God is moving and all these different things. And she says, I got to tell you something, though. And she tells me, I can't stop thinking about you. I said, what? Don't take it the wrong way. I'm just telling you because I want you to know, but not in a bad way so that you can help me pray. She says, when I'm like washing the dishes while I'm at work, even when I'm talking to my own husband, because she was married. And at this time I was married too. And at odd moments throughout the day, all day, I, I can't stop thinking about you. You're just in my head. And the first thing that I can utter out of my mouth was, you shouldn't have told me that. Because at that moment, I felt the covering that God had put over my life, the spiritual anesthesia against spiritual immor against sexual immorality, I felt it disintegrate instantly. What I hadn't felt in regards to sexual immorality for like three years, I started to feel it again. And it's not that I was attracted or I desired her, but the desire to be the object of somebody's lust came back. And I'm like, you shouldn't have told me that. I'm a man. You don't tell men that. She's like, but you're my leader. I should be able to tell you this so you can help me pray. I'm like, you shouldn't have told me that at that moment. Our other prayer partner comes, the girl whose grandmother it was comes, we go upstairs, and we continue to do the work of God. The lady didn't come up from her coma, but we were able to get responses from her. We asked her to squeeze our hands if she could say, if, if she could hear our voice, she squeezes. 
We asked her if she wanted to accept Jesus. The lady squeezes her hand. We do the prayer of faith, and we ask her to make affirmations of faith. And as we ask her to make affirmations of faith, she squeezes our hands. And she accepted Christ. She was in a coma, but she was able to be, she was conscious enough to respond and accept Christ. But as I'm coming out of that hospital, I'm starting to get worried. Because sometimes we think that God deals with certain issues, with certain demons. And what happens is that the demons stay quiet, waiting for an opportune moment. I thought that it had gone away. All it did was hide. I thought because I wasn't dealing with it, that it wasn't, any, it wasn't there anymore. And when she had told me that, it all came flooding back. But I was, I was focused. I was in a fight against that. I wasn't going to give in to it. This time I'm a Christian. This time I have Jesus. There's no way I'm going to fall again. So I start to ignore her. That was like on a Friday, that event at the hospital. Sunday service comes, and I'm not looking in her direction. I'm not, I didn't even say hi to her. I ignored her. But I did take a glance at her, and she looks depressed. She looks sad. She looks mortified. She's so upset. She texts me Monday while I was at work, and she texts me apologizing. And she says to me, I'm sorry that I told you what I said. I feel terrible. I hope you don't judge me. I wanted to show compassion, and I did. I wanted to be merciful, and I did. I said, hey, don't worry about it. It happens. Everybody suffers from something. You just happen to be vocal about the thing that you're going through privately. And I'll help you pray. You'll fight, and I'll fight, and God will be glorified. It sounded great, and it was. I could have ended it right there. And when it's time to finally say bye, my curiosity, my flesh got the best of me. I don't know what would have happened with my life if I just would have hung up, if I would have just stopped the conversation right there. But at that moment, one weak moment, a question came to my mind that I just, I had to know the answer to, and I should have never asked it, but I did. And I asked her, for how long have you been feeling like this? I should have never asked her that. I got curious. My flesh wanted to feel good. I wanted to know. And she told me, remember that time you got up and you shared your revelation about how time is money and but time is greater than money and that we should tie our time in front of the church? I was like, that was two years ago. She's like, ever since you stood up that day, I, start, I started looking at you. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't not look at you. I said, you've been looking at me for two years and forget about it. I started to feel crazy, man. Everything that I had thought I fought against, everything I thought I defeated, everything I thought I nailed on the cross just came rushing back. And because I hadn't dealt with it for so long, I couldn't handle it in real time. But we decided we were going to fight our flesh. But the seeds of Satan, of sexual desire were planted. We wrestled, me and that girl, back and forth, texting each other in lust. But also, we're going to fight our fight back and forth. I remember that was around February, March, Easter's like sometime in April, and I'm asked by the pastor of the church to testify, uh, to preach on like a Friday or Saturday about La Siete Palabra de Jesús, so it translates literally to the seven words or the seven phrases of Jesus that he said before he died. And I had one of the words, I had one of the phrases, and I'm taking the train to go to this church my brother, as I'm walking out of the church, as I'm walking out of the train toward the church, but I'm walking literally out of the wagon, you know, you hear the bing, boom of the MTA train. I heard for the first time God's audible voice, and he says, if you have sex with her, you shall surely die. 
and I froze in front of the train as I got out of the wagon and the door closes, the train pulls off and I look behind me because I know I heard that voice and I was by myself. Was, and this was this was an audible voice? An audible voice. It was the first time I had heard the audible voice of God. Mm. God had ministered to me in my heart very clearly, very plainly, and I could discern what he wanted. But this was the first time I heard an audible voice. He said, if you have sex with her, you shall surely die. I go and I preach this. One of the phrases that I had to preach about Jesus is uh, before Jesus died and I can't even preach right because I, I was still trying to make sense of what was happening to me. And I tried to fight my fight because that's our thing. That's what we would say. I was fighting my fight. But we kept talking, man. We kept talking. Sometimes she would entice me. Sometimes I would entice her. And a month later, what God had told me kind of wore off. The power of what he said to me no longer had that same effect. And I decided I was going to go see her in person. And I went to her job with the intention to try to do something, to try to, like, physically hug her, kiss her, whatever it was. And she resisted. She fought. But eventually she gave in, and that started, an, that officially started a physical affair. Now we were no longer texting or talking on the phone. Now we were seeing each other, and we were kissing. And as all things that are sinful, it started to escalate. Now I'm in adultery. See, before I was in fornication, before I was young, I wasn't in Christ. But now I'm in Christ. I'm a leader, a minister for so many different departments, and I'm in sin. I tried to fight it. I told my pastor about it, and she put us in disciplinary action. So she took me. She put me on timeout. I couldn't do anything. And that was the first time I had ever been in a timeout. And Noel, how old were you at this time? Oh, man, I was, my, my daughter was born, this was 2015. I was 27 years old. I converted at 24, baptized at 25. So two years after baptism, one year after being called into leadership. When I spoke to my leaders, my pastors, I felt so much rejection. I knew you were going to fall. Your ministry's over and done with. God can't use you anymore, but at least you can still be saved a lot of the friends I had abandoned me. They didn't want to associate themselves with me. The wives of men didn't want to not even greet me. They didn't want to give me a handshake. They didn't want to do anything because they were afraid I was looking at them with lust. But I wasn't. I was really trying to fight my fight. I feel like she was really trying to fight her fight too. But we were, we were failing. We were victims to our flesh. And eventually, like I said, all things that are sinful escalate. They don't just stay as they are. We decide that we want to have sex. We just decide, you know what, whatever. We're just going to do it, and we're going to do it. And we went to a hotel, and when I pulled up to the parking lot of the hotel, my pastor called me. There was a, a vigil, a, a three-night prayer, a three-night fasting and prayer, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This is a Friday night. And she says, I don't know where you are. I don't know who you're with, but the people you are with don't want the best for you. Come to church. She called me at 2 o'clock in the morning. This lady never calls me. Up to this point, she may have called me twice. This may have been her third time calling me at 2 o'clock in the morning. And when I told her, I said, that was the pastor who called me. That was her pastor, too. We decided not to do anything because that was a sign from God. And, and Noel, very quick, just for even more context here, yeah. before you go to that next part, um, what was the dynamic like with you and your wife uh, at this time? Because you're talking about two in the morning, leaving your home. So what was that dynamic like? 
I was always in the street. A lot of the people from the street, from different blocks, different neighborhoods, they knew me. So I was in and out of the street. As I was starting to backslide, as I was texting from, let's say, February, March, all the way up to, like, this is, let's say, May, June, I started to backslide from the church because I was put into disciplinary action. So I found a refuge. I didn't find a refuge in the church. I found refuge in the street. The dynamic between me and my wife was terrible. We had a newborn child. She wasn't even, well, let's say she was like four to six months old. Part of the reason why I was talking to that girl was because she was going through her depression and she was transitioning into her role as a mother. I was so used to it just being us. We had spent seven years it being us. I wasn't used to the fact that we were going to have to parent this child and that we were going to have to forfeit or invest some of the time that we had for each other into this child. And it sounds great on paper. It sounds great theoretically, but I, I wasn't emotionally prepared for it. I did my best to try to be a dad, and we did a great job being moms and dads despite what we were going through. But just because you're a good mom or you're a good dad doesn't mean you're a good husband or a good wife. And that that area itself needs investment. She later told me that she didn't have the capacity to be able to take care of me or her wifely duties the way she used to because she was so focused and so involved in being a mother and because she was suffering at first baby blues that then turned into postpartum. And I too neglected it because I was suffering depression in my own. And I got exhausted trying to fight. Man, I prayed, I fasted. I think I read more of God's word in that span of time, more than any other time in my life. I would read, I think I read the book of Job in like two days. I read First and Second Samuel because I was looking into David's story in like three days. And I read so much, I read, the, I read Genesis, especially the part with Joseph, when he ran away from sex from that woman who tried to like entice him into sex, because I was looking for the answer in scripture. Mm. And, I, and I couldn't find refuge in the prayer. I couldn't find refuge in the fast. I couldn't find refuge in the word. I couldn't find refuge in anyone in the church or just being in the church. And I started to spiral into sin. Pastor had called, though. She didn't give up on me, even though she said she knew that I was going to fall into some kind of sin. The pastor had called me, interceded that one time we were in the hotel. And then we started to fight our fight because we felt God was intervening. And then weeks later, we did it again. We decided we were going to go to a hotel. And this time we go to the hotel. And the hotel was packed. It was booked. They said it was a two and a half hour wait to get in there. We was like, nah, man, this is God telling us not to do it. And then the third time, she had her period, and I didn't have a condom. She said, you don't have a condom? I said, no, I don't do this. I, I don't carry condoms on me. I don't, I don't really do this stuff anymore. Like, and we decided not to do it. And slowly but surely, we started to drift away. We started to, the blindfold that the devil had put in both of us, me and that girl, started to, fight, uh, started to fade. And we did, indeed, start to win our fights. And that lasted about two years. And I can testify today that although I did have an affair, I never had sex with that girl. God kept me from having sex with her. God kept her from having sex with me. And what God told me, that I shall surely die if I did have sex with her, came to pass. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do it. He protected me. He kept me. But that didn't stop the attacks from coming. It didn't stop the after effects of what an affair is. A lot of people had abandoned me. No one trusted me with ministry. No one even wanted me to preach in churches, out of churches. The, the man who was once on fire is now ice cold. 
and I'm trying my best. I had seasons where I bounced back into God and, ban- and bounced out of God, and I see myself spiral no longer into sexual immorality with that girl, but now finding refuge in the street because I felt the rejection at that church. And now I'm back in the street like I was before I converted, but this time I'm not 24. Now I'm like 29, almost 30 years old. And I'm smoking weed again, I'm drinking, and I'm violent, and I'm more violent as ever. The depression starts to get really bad. I start to feel the sadness. Like I said, every time the wave hits, it hits harder. And what I suffered before was just suicidal ideation. I just, it was just feelings of suicide. It was never actual planning. But this time around, I met Jesus. I met God. I had encounters with him. I heard his voice. I felt his love. His power flowed to me and through me. And even though I was in the world, even though I was outside of church and backslidden, I couldn't ignore what I had experienced. You can't just unfeel what you have felt. You can't unhear what you heard. But now I'm in the world, and I'm smoking more weed than ever, and I'm drinking more than ever. I'm still talking to girls at this point, but I'm just getting numbers, and I have no intention of of talking to the girls after the getting on. I just needed to feel good about myself, so I would get girls' numbers and erase them after the end of the night because I just needed to feel good about myself. I felt terrible. And the depression starts to get worse, season after season, wave after wave. And it got so bad for me that... I had a dream, it was more like a revelation, that I was near the water, like a river, and Jesus had his back turned, and I was able to walk on the water toward him, and when I grabbed him on his shoulder, he turned around and he was angry at me. I'll never forget the angry face that Jesus gave me. And I immediately woke up, and I remember feeling for months, if not like a year and change, I'm not saved. My man, I wrestled with the feeling of not being saved for over a year. And every night I had to rest my head on my pillow. I had to swallow the truth and deal with the fact that I was no longer saved because Jesus had looked at me with such disappointment. And that drives me deeper into depression. And that drives me deeper into the spirit of suicide. And I'm starting to make plans and trying to figure out how I can do it because when you cast out a demon... Once that demon has been casted out and it tries to make its way back in, if he makes its way back in, if it makes its way back in, it comes with seven worse. So the depression that I had suffered and the suicide I was battling is now seven times worse. And I'm thinking to myself, how can I commit the act? How can I escape this reality? How can I escape this truth? And I thought to myself, I finally came up with this brilliant plan about how I was going to do it. I thought to myself, I'm going to take fentanyl. Because fentanyl, if I take enough fentanyl, I overdose on fentanyl, it'll be painless and it'll do the job quickly. This is like three years ago, 2020. Every time I thought about doing it, the only thing that stopped me from actually doing it were the the images of my daughter's faces. I no longer lived for anything else or anybody. The only thing that kept me alive in those seasons was waking up to my daughter's face. That's what I told the girl. That's why the, the, the affair that I had before with her, that's where it ended. She wanted me to be in a relationship with her. She wanted to leave her husband, and she wanted me to leave my wife so that we could be together. And I told her, listen, between you and my wife, at this time, it could, it's a toss-up. I don't know who I want to be with. I'm not sure. But between you and my daughter, it's a no-brainer. It's my daughter all day. You can never replace my daughter. She said, but you can still be a father away from her. That doesn't mean just because you leave her and she's not living with you doesn't mean you can't be your father. And I said, nah, 
you don't understand that waking up and seeing my daughter's face every morning is what keeps me alive. And if I no longer wake up and see my daughter in the morning, I shall surely die. But the depression gets deeper, and I'm trying to reconcile with Christ again. And I have so many failed attempts, and I'm starting to get discouraged. And this one day, I'm having this terrible bout of crying, and I decide I'm going to finally... I'm going to finally do it. I know who to get the drug from. I know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to write this note. And three weeks later, my nephew, who I consider my son, who considered me my, like a father, on separate occasions of his life, my nephew told me, I wish you were my father. My nephew overdosed on fentanyl. And I had to suffer one of the greatest pains I've ever suffered in my life. I knew he was struggling with drugs. I didn't know to what degree. I tried to help him. I even tried to keep him in my home for some time so that he wouldn't do it. Tried to keep him clean, and he did. He stayed in my home. But I was so busy with life, and I was so busy with other things that I couldn't concentrate on him like he needed me to concentrate on him. I tried to refer him to a hospital, and my nephew, before he died, 10 months before he died, he tells me, all I need is God and love. The same method I wanted to use to kill myself was the method in which he ended up overdosing three weeks later. I have to be the rock for my family. A lot of people are devastated in my family at the fact that such a tragic event happens. But this time around, I was reconciling with God, and it felt different because I told myself I would build myself up so that I can come back to the old church I went to and then suffer defeat in that church because the place that I thought was supposed to be the place of peace now became a place of war. I built up myself enough away from the church that I said, you know what, this time around, it was like third or fourth time I had did it. I'm not going over there because every time I build myself up and I go over there, I just kept getting destroyed. I'm I'm not going to go over there. I'm going to build myself up and I'm going to go somewhere else. And around that same time is when he dies. And I realize when I look at the casket and I see everyone crying, that was supposed to be me. I should have been the one in the casket. All the people that are crying for him would have been crying for me. And I decide I need to change my life. All the people who knew him, who knew us, are now terribly saddened, extremely saddened. And one of the people there with my wife, they say the only thing that we can do to find refuge in this terrible tragedy is Bible study. It's in the same place that I converted in 2013. It's the same place we started giving Bible study about eight or nine years later. I asked God, God, what do you want me to preach about? And he said, a lot of the people that are going to come to the Bible study don't know the gospel. I want you to teach them about the gospel. So then every week I start preaching about the book of John. The first week we did chapter one, the second week, chapter two, so on and so forth. We did it for 21 weeks, 21 chapters, 21 weeks. Leading up to the 21 weeks, somebody from our group says, I want to get baptized. But I don't want to get baptized in that church. I don't want to get baptized in any church. I want you to be the one who baptized me because you were the one who taught me the gospel. God used you. God ministered to me that you have to be the one to baptize. And I'm scrolling through scripture. I'm like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not belonging to any church at this time. What do I do? How do I do it? And I can't find anything that speaks about merits or qualifications for who who baptizes and who can't. And we're discussing with people that we trust. And some people are saying, go ahead. Some people are saying, don't do it. But then I consulted with God, and I'm like, God, should I baptize her or not? And if she died and I didn't baptize her, how would I feel? Versus if she died and I knew that I baptized her, how would I feel? And I think I said, I don't care how bad it looks, how disobedient I look, 
I baptized her because if anything were to happen to her, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't baptize her. Another people from the group, they were having a broken relationship. They were in fornication and they were about to split. They had like four kids in that same Bible study. They're, they're restored their relationship. They end up deciding they want to get married and they're like, okay, we want to get married, but we want you to be the one who marries us. And I'm like, I'm not a pastor. I don't really belong to a church. But you know what? I'll do whatever I need to do because the best way to combat fornication is not just to say, I rebuke the spirit of fornication, but to literally marry people out of fornication. So I said, if I am going to be an ambassador for Christ, and I really am going to slay demons the way I know how to slay demons, because something that I say is that I have personal beef with the devil. He stole from me, so I steal from him. In order to slay the spirit of fornication, I married them. And from this Bible study, Jubilee Hill Ministry is born, and people are starting to be restored. I only named two situations, but people are coming out of depression. People are coming out of anxiety. People are coming out of sadness. Relationships are being restored. People are starting to meet Jesus. All kinds of people are coming, people who suffer substance use, people who suffer from LGBT, gayness, and things like this. All kinds of people are coming to this Bible study to hear the gospel because I'm preaching it, and I'm no longer preaching it with the weight of a doctrine on my back. I'm preaching it as God gives it to me verse by verse. I, I taught them every verse, every chapter. And the ministry's born, Jubilee Hill Ministry. And from that ministry, a church was born, the ICU church. I didn't want to do it. I ran away from it for so long. I denied it. I said, I, I feel like somebody has to like ordain me or something like this. I don't know. But I asked God for a sign. I said, God, you got to speak to me. I'm not going to take the step forward unless it's you that talks to me. And in the matter of a month, a 30-day span, about 30 or 40 unrelated people, I've, I promise you that every single person who spoke to me in this 30-day span asked me, are you a pastor? In a 30-day in a span, all of them unrelated asked me, are you a pastor? I look up to the sky and say, God, you have a funny sense of humor. And we birthed the ICU church, the Intensive Christ Unit. And I want to tell this testimony because, to be honest, I believed a lot of the things that they had told me. I, I fell into a terrible sin of adultery, and they told me I could never be a minister again. They told me my ministry was dead. They told me that I will never be the same. They said the least, the least you could do is save your soul because you're done. And I don't know who's listening to this, and I don't know who needs to hear this message, but God ministered to me to share my story because somebody needs to know that God restores it doesn't matter how broken you are or how withered of a fig tree you may feel like. It doesn't matter what people have declared over your life, that if you come into God's presence and you're sincere, God can restore you and he can make you better than you were before. For a long time, I thought I'll never be the same. And God was right. I wouldn't be the same. I became better. Praise God. Noel, at some point you had to have that conversation with your wife to be able to tell her the things that were happening. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Now, obviously, you can't tell her testimony of what she had to go through and you know the process that she had to go through. But if you could just give us a little bit of insight from your perspective of coming clean to your wife and how God was able to restore that relationship. My wife is a powerful tool in God. I met her because I prayed to God for a woman. God used her so that I can come to a Bible study. God used her so I can come to church. God used her so I can come to De La Fe testimony. 
And to be honest, I didn't have to come clean. She's a very smart woman with great discernment. She was intercepting my texts the entire time. Every single message I sent her and that that girl sent me, she was getting to. <laughs> she saw everything I said to her and she saw what everything that girl said to me. And she waited patiently until she couldn't hold it anymore. And she confronted me about it. I got caught three times talking to that girl. And it wasn't until I told her the entire truth about two years into that whole ordeal, I told her everything. I told her how we almost had sex. I told her how I felt. I told her that I no longer wanted anything but just to be saved because I no longer felt saved. And that she wasn't the priority, that salvation was the priority. Very similarly to how I came to God the first time, that I didn't want to be with her, or at least not work it out. We were together and it was very rocky, because she was cold and I was cold. And it almost felt like we were roommates. But what kind of held us together was the fact that although she came from the coldness of wherever she felt, and I came from the cold place that I was in, we were able to meet at the altar. And little by little, the ice blocks that covered our hearts began to melt. And we started to, to reason with each other and to get warm with each other once again. I praise God for her life. We kind of like don't share our testimony too often because we didn't want to throw anybody under the bus. And we're kind of a little afraid to mention certain situations because people know about the story. Everybody heard about it. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people heard about it. But the more we prayed about it and the deeper we got into our ministry, the more we realized that we don't matter and that if those people are healed, what they feel doesn't matter. What matters are the people who need to be restored from their situations. And so we shared what we shared. We shared what we shared. We haven't really talked about it publicly except for the select few people in our church. And this is the first time we're really coming out about the entire truth. Because there was a narrative that was painted about me at my old church that um, I didn't fight too much against. I let God fight for me. And I said, Father God, if you truly are with me, allow me to excel in all the things that I do for you. <sighs> People prophesied against me, man. They told me I, I was in disobedience. They told me I would never prosper. They told me anything I tried to do would never work. But the more they tried to prophesy against me, the the more God fought for me, the the more valiantly God presented himself in my favor. And I just decided to pray every day to him and ask him, if I'm in error, my God, correct me. And if at any moment, Father God, I steer in the wrong direction, like a great GPS that you are, steer me in the right direction. Reroute me, my God. And honestly, for a long time, God has been quiet. It must, must be that I'm, I'm going in the right direction. Praise God. Noel, uh, in your testimony, you mentioned several times uh, the being numb and the being numb of depression, being numb of these different things. And I'm curious to hear about the healing because there's one thing to be numb and not being able to feel something, but it's still there. And then there's another thing of being healed. And uh, I'm curious if you could talk to us about this very briefly of uh, what did that healing look like when it came to the lust, when it came to that old man as you now surrender to God in, in that new season and in this new new season that you are in? 
just because the demon that you used to fight with is quiet doesn't mean the demon's gone. I confuse the demon's silence for the demon's defeat or the spirit of lust or the spirit of sexual immorality silence for his defeat or my victory. This time around, after the passing of my nephew, I wanted to take things very slowly as opposed to being rushed into ministry or rushed into salvation or rushed into anything. I decided to take it slowly and make sure that there was no, I didn't leave anything, I didn't leave anything undone. And I decided to combat the spirit directly. I decided that I would confess, of course, to my wife and to the people who needed to know. And we do, a, we do this thing during Bible study and sometimes service where I say, I'm, I'm, starting, an, I'm starting a fire. I'm, I'm creating an altar here and I'm starting a fire. Anybody who needs to confess anything that they're battling with, you can throw it into the fire. Under the belief, under the premise that bringing things to the light, when you bring things to the light, God will glorify himself. And understanding that if you cannot confess anything with your mouth, a problem that you're going through or a spirit that you're battling with, a demon that you're battling with, you are subject and you are bound by that demon. If you can't admit that you're battling something, you are enchained by that demon. Mm. So we start these altars, these fires during Bible study, especially, but sometimes during service. And I confess that I told my group during the book of John, I said, I was going through this. This is my testimony. Just in case you guys hear it from somebody, from some other source, this is what I went through. This is why I was battling in that place. But it's what led me to this point, and God can restore me, and he is, he's doing it actively, and he can restore you. And I threw that into the altar of fire. And then other people started to throw their things into the altar of fire. When I gave up marijuana the first time, back in 2012, 2013, I didn't do it in my own power. One day I had woke up sweating, and I don't know what it was, but the desire within me that had to smoke was no longer there. And then again, about two or three years later, when it was time to give it up, I didn't give it up. I put it in the altar of fire and just randomly one day, it wasn't random, God knows all things. But to random to me, one night I woke up sweating, cold sweats at three or four o'clock in the morning. I said, it happened again. He did it again. It's gone. I, I, I don't feel it inside of me anymore. No one rebuked it. I just threw it into the altar of fire. I said, Holy Spirit, whenever it is that you want to deal with it, you deal with it. Now, the alcohol was different. You would think, right, all substances would be encapsulated or encompassed into one thing. Nah. One day I'm shopping, I'm going to BJ's, and I'm in the parking lot, and God ministers to me a word. And I go, and I look it up, and God tells me he wants me to conduct myself like a bishop, like an overseer. I'm not even a pastor at this time. I'm still, I'm still doing the book of John Bible studies, teaching people, like, you know, the gospel. And God is ministering to me, you have to conduct yourself like a bishop, like an overseer. And part of that is not giving yourself up to drink. I thought it would make more sense for me to carry myself like a, de uh, like a deacon. In the same chapter, it says you can be given to little drink. But God ministered to me, no, I want you to carry yourself like a bishop, be given to no drink. That one I had to wrestle with, like Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And it was hard. I went through withdrawals. But day by day, I fought that one. I fought alcohol, as opposed to the marijuana that God just did it suddenly and the sexual immorality that was one that i had to wrestle with too but that was a different fight because that fight would come randomly when the enemy felt like i was having weak moments noel how is your relationship with your wife today 
to be honest, our relationship is in the best place it's ever been. I can say that from the bottom of my heart. I don't know what it is, but there's just something about true love having have gone through the fire and then being purified through the fire. The fiery trials that we had to endure is what brought us to this pureness of love that we have today. She knows me so much better than she knew me before. And I know her so much better than I knew her before. She told me something so special, so spectacular. I was afraid that she would try to get me back. She said, I'm not interested in trying to get you back because I'm not fighting against you. In fact, I would like for you to use my example as a means for you to catch up. Me getting you back would be giving glory to the devil, but me keeping my testimony, keeping myself pure is giving glory to God. You got a lot of work to do to catch up to me. That was kind of her way of reassuring me that she wouldn't cheat back because I was a big worry of mine. And she didn't. She kept her word. She kept herself pure. We talked. We had to have a lot of tough conversations throughout a span of so many years. But it was the conversations that we didn't know that we needed to have. And having gone through those tough times is what allowed us, <clears throat> is what allowed us to have the pureness of love that we have now. We honestly feel like there's nothing that can come against us. I can't say, I can't, I don't think I can, I could have said that before we went through what we went through. I knew that we were in love and I knew that we were in God and that we were mighty in God. But I didn't understand the power of a marriage. That a husband has to submit to his ministry of being a husband. And I have to be willing to give my life up the way Jesus gave his life up to the church. I didn't understand that before the ordeal, before the problem, and that a woman has to be able to submit to her husband the way the church submits to Christ. And I don't think she understood that either before we went through what we went through. But after we had gone through what we went through and we both saw that we weren't going anywhere, I, 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 that's a miracle within itself that none of us vanished, none of us left. I could have left, she could have left. And we stuck by regardless of how we felt. And we felt really bad. We didn't like each other for a while but we never stopped loving each other. And the fact that we didn't leave each other, we didn't abandon each other through that problem, built a trust within us that, you know, you take vows and you say through sickness and in health and, and all these extremes that you present during vows, we, we really didn't leave each other. And so today we can walk with the confidence and, and the reassurance that <clears throat> it can get ugly and we're not going anywhere. And that kind of sets the table for us so that we can kind of really enjoy each other better than we ever have. And we have an obligation to enjoy each other better than we ever had. I think part of it, we kind of got lost in parenting. We kind of got lost in ministry. And we stopped enjoying each other. We kind of like took it for granted, but we don't take it for granted anymore. Amen. Noel, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is the Logos. He is the meaning of all things the divine and creative reason for everything. Everything was made by him and for him. He declares the end from the beginning and that I found my purpose in Jesus. When I was suffering my depression, when I was going through all the sadness that I went through, all the emptiness, that the only one who can fill that void and bring me to the true purpose was Jesus. And so many times, we think that things are meant to break us, but they are to push us into the divine direction of God's purpose. 
And a lot of times we think things are here to bless us, and they often take us and steer us away from God's purpose. And so when you bring it back to Him, when you bring it to the Logos, the light, in the beginning was the Logos, in the beginning was the Word, He will give purpose to everything that you go through, good or bad. For those who are watching your testimony right now and are currently in an affair, and nobody knows it, but they happen to get this part of your testimony and see your testimony, uh, for those who are struggling in that actively right now, um, what can you tell them as they watch you speak about what has happened in your life? I'm going to tell them what I tell everyone in my congregation. Never let the devil steal your praise. A bad season in your life, bad moments in your life don't define you. And although in this season of your life you may be fighting against something that seems greater than you, and it may be, it may be greater than you, don't let go of Jesus. In due time, in due season, if you bring it to him, he can restore all things. He can break the chains of sexual immorality. Talk to him about it. Don't hide from him. He sees it anyway. Even if you hide it from everyone else, bring it into the altar of fire and confess it. The truth shall set you free. It wasn't until I told everyone what I did and everyone knew the truth about me that I could start being healed and being restored. It seems so scary to talk about that truth. We're so tempted to hide those shameful things about ourselves, whether it be suicide or an affair, suicidal thoughts or an affair. But if you can just bring it to the light and allow God to be glorified regardless of the circumstances, he will restore you. He will empower you. And he will make things better than they were before. Noel, can you pray for those who are watching right now and are ready to repent, are ready to give their life to Jesus or rededicate their life back to the Lord? Could you just pray for those who are, are watching right now? Of course. Father God, we give you all the glory and all the honor. We magnify your name in this time, Father God, and we invoke your presence, your power, into those situations for people who are ready to repent. Some people, Father God, are being touched at this very moment. And in the same way that you are present here with us, you are very present with them. I ask, Father God, that you give them the ability, the power, to be able to tap in to the true and the true fullness of your grace, the true fullness of your mercy, and the complete power of the Holy Ghost so that they can be freed from whatever chains are holding them back. Break those chains, my God. I ask you in the glorious name of Jesus that if anyone is listening to this prayer, that they can find you, Father God, that they can reach you, and that your holy light can enter into the place that they are in right now, that they can feel the Holy Ghost working in a miraculous way and restoring them for good. I know that that person who's listening right now, Father God, is tired of going through the same thing. They keep getting better and they keep getting worse. 
Father God, I kept getting better and then I got worse. And I asked myself, Father God, when am I going to be healed for good? In the name of Jesus, I declare that you are healed for good, that it is the last time that you will ever have to suffer what you've been suffering for so long and that you no longer need to feel discouraged about losing the battle that you've been dying to win. I declare faith, hope, and love over your situation, and I ask that you can be blessed in a glorious way. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, everybody. I hope the new testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help, that we have people that are ready to speak with you. So down in the description box below, in the comment section,
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a testimony. Woo. Rough stuff, rough stuff. But we thank God that he's forgiven, kind, gracious, and merciful this morning. And if he forgive us, the whole world may as well forgive us. Yeah, because if he be for us, he's more than the whole world against us. And so we're grateful unto him. I want to make this announcement, and then, Sister Dot, we're going to our Bible questions. But I got a um, a text from uh, Brother Louis' granddaughter, Kimmy, uh, yesterday, and she said that they are have uh, that the veterans services finally got Louis a service schedule for February the 16th at 1.30 p.m., and it'll be in a place called Bushnell, Florida. So I uh, plan to attend. I'm going. And I asked her about Sherry, and she said that Sherry was having a difficult time adjusting uh, life without Louie and that she was concerned about her. She said her right eye isn't improving like she had hoped it would after surgery. And her hand and the knees bother her, so she isn't getting around well. Uh, she said that Sherry refuses to move in with uh, with her and her husband, Stephen. And she said, I worry about her being so isolated in her house. I go see her and get her out of the house as often as I can. And, uh, and I call her several times a day, but I still worry about her. So I told her I understand, and I'm praying for Sherry, but I'm asking the intercessors to continue to touch and agree with me uh, to pray for Sherry because Louie was a caregiver. Uh, Louie was there for her. She had nothing to worry about because Louie took care of everything. So now that he's gone, I'm sure, you know, she's going through a lot. But I thank God that if she wake up, and decide to trust the Lord, everything will be all right. Because many times we can pray for others, but if they're not believing God and they're not going to God for themselves and trusting him, then many times, uh, because they're in them, they, they're holding on to their flesh, many times it it's as if it's not working. But God is yet able and he's faithful you know what Sherry needs, and we are praying that he supply, yeah, according to his riches and glory by his son, Christ Jesus. Not just materialistic, natural things, but spiritual things as well, because we need more spiritual, believe it or not, than natural. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And so it's all right today in Jesus' name. All right, Sister Dot, I'm opening your microphone. <laughs> and... Uh, the first good morning. good morning. God bless you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Okay, good. Just wow. trying to trying to stay warm. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, it's a little cool my way too. Cause you know I'm much further north, and wow. uh, it's yeah, it's cooler than anywhere else in Florida over here. Sometimes I forget that. And so I'm thinking, oh, it's cold. It's my 40. What is good? But I'm further north. Yeah. Wow. South, uh, west, central, all of that is warm. <laughs> uh, that we are. Yeah. 
So we're going to get started, Sister Dot, with the first question this morning. And if anyone else saw him in the poll over on Facebook and Jesus in the Morning uh, group over there, and you have some ready and you want to answer some, press the number one and come in this morning. Uh, the first one says, what scripture was the Ethiopian eunuch reading when Philip found him? Um, I have Acts 8, 29 through 34. Okay. I, the answer to it, Sister Dot, what was the answer? Um, the Ethiopian unit was reading prophets or saviors. And Wait. I'm trying to research the prophets or, or saviors and um, found that prophet or, or saviors was the 8th century B.C. Israelite prophet after whom the book of Isaiah is named. Now, there you go. It was found in the book of Isaiah. And uh, Philip left, and he went out, and he saw the eunuch, and he was reading in the book of Isaiah. And I think it was Philip asked him a question, and he let him know, how would I understand this? And so Philip explained everything to him. And then he told Philip, he said, well, yonder some water. What hindered you from baptizing me? So Philip took him over and baptized him. Yeah. In the book of Isaiah. Now, I found it, too, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 30. Yeah. So the next question is, which one of these men was not one of the priest's name in First Chronicles? Which one was it? I didn't have an answer to that because I thought it would have been names for you to choose out of. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it was Aaron, David, uh, Eliezer, uh, Hikiah, but it was David. David was the one that his name was in there uh, in the list of priests over in First Chronicles. Uh, chapter 6, verses 3 through 13. Yeah, so the, I'm sorry I didn't get back to you yesterday, too, but <laughs> once I get wound up and, yeah, and get busy, I'm gone. I'm gone. But uh, we're going to the next question, which is number three. We have seven this time, and I hope I was able to get all seven over there. But Ooh, which I, of, how many I you got? Four. Wait, five. five. Okay, that's good. That's good. I'll just read the other two and then, you know, give the answer. But which of the following cities is not mentioned by Paul as a city in which he has suffered? Did you find that one in number three? The number three was, I thought, for whom was the law made? Okay, all right. Uh, maybe I got it. Uh, put the horse ahead of the car. All right. For whom was the law made? Uh, I found that in First Timothy, um, chapter one, eight through eleven, and I would have to pull that up on my phone because. Okay. Uh, it was for sinners, but it um, in Timothy, it it went and it 
name, you know, the different sinners. Okay. Because now what I got for whom was the law made? Lawless and disobedient men. And you can find that in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Yeah, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Okay. So, okay. So now, now is number four, which of the following cities in which mentioned by Paul as a city in which he had suffered? Is that number four? Yes. Okay. I didn't have. Okay. Well, the answer to that one is Tyre, T-Y-R-E. And we'll find that in Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11. Yeah. So we'll go on to number five, if you're ready. Okay. Okay, what, what your number five has, Sister Dye? Um, What must you get out of your own eye before you try to get the most um, spent out of your brother's eye? And I have Matthew uh, 7, 3 through 5. Uh-huh. And the answer is... Put it up. <laughs> wait a minute. Hold on. I'll, I'll go ahead. The, the answer is the B. What must you get out of your own eye before uh, trying to get the most speck out of your brother's eye? And that's the B. And that's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 4 through 5. Yeah. Mm. And then I... Um, See, on my paperwork, it says number seven. But if we look in uh, one more question, what must you get out? Oh, that was it. I had it mm -hmm. twice. Oh, oh, I did it two. I did it two times, and I don't know why. But okay, we'll go on to see if we have a number eight. Nope, that was it. That was it. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I doubled it. I made it six and seven, but it's okay. Um, real good, real good. And then today, I will go in to put five more questions. Okay. I'm just, yeah, I'm just holding on to these because uh, maybe someday we can talk about uh, two or three at a time and, and get them done. Because it, it truly helped me to go back in my mind and to remember things. And I'm answering them without really looking them up, if I'm honest. And uh, I'm finding that I'm, I'm knowing a few things. Not a whole lot now, but I'm knowing a few things, but I just have to remember. Yeah, because 66 books, that's a that's a lot of books. That's a lot. That's <laughs> yeah. a lot. Uh-huh. And so I'm praying now that God give me the summary for the book of Genesis and Exodus and come on up through numbers and everything. So I want to work on that. So I, that's what I told the Lord about. But we are moving on in Jesus' name. And the studio is open this morning. If there's anyone have a testimony or they have something they would like to share, please feel free uh, to share with us. If you have comments concerning the two testimonies you heard this morning, please feel free. If you have comments. Uh, concerning, you know, 
reaping and sowing. Feel free to share this morning. Hallelujah. It's already all right in Jesus' name. And we thank him this morning. So look, we're going to one more song of the morning. Oh, you have something you would like to say, Sister Dot? No, I was just saying amen. Okay. Okay. After you made your statement. Yes, ma'am. So look, we're going to, I wish I knew how to move the uh, the clip forward. Let me see if I can move this forward. I don't think I can, but let me try something right quick. Want to make sure that's what it was, y'all. Uh, we're going to another one. I tell you what, let's go to. I got to put some more requests in, and uh, I am planning to do it uh, early in the morning, so I will get that one done. All right, let's take a listen to. Let's go here. Trouble in my way. I have to cry sometimes So much trouble Makes me cry sometimes I lay awake at night But that's alright Cause I know Well, 
Brother Anthony, let me know when you can uh, get in. Your mic is open. I don't know if you're ready or not. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Uh-huh. Are you ready or you need a little time? All right. Yeah, I need a little bit more time. Okay. All right. I'm going to mute your mic. All right. Let's see. Okay. All right, good morning to you, Pastor David, and good morning to you, Sister Rita. Uh, good morning to you, Sister Rose Brown. Good morning to you, Brother Anthony, and good morning again to you, Sister Dorothy Goodman. And uh, I know God is safe, and I believe that um, Elder Martha wanted to come this morning, but I think he was a little bit busy because he do a prayer. I think he do a prayer line before he come here. And so he, he called me last night, too, I think around 7-ish. But I was napping, y'all. And uh, I didn't get up until around 9. But eventually mm-hmm. he will get back in touch with me and we'll go from there. And, uh, you know, make sure that he come uh, whatever mornings he want to come. And if he want to just sit back and listen, he can. And uh, that would be a beautiful thing. And back to Louis, uh, February 16th at 1.30 p.m. in Bushnell, Florida. They'll be having his service. And so I plan to attend that day and uh, get, get to see Sherry and everything like that over there. I don't, I don't think 
is to kind of service it, you know, your traditional, you know, funeral service. But I think, you know, it's, it's a military service for him. And so I know if he was here, I know he said, well, Barbara, you coming? Yeah. So I'm, you know, making my way, praying to make my way there on the 16th. On February 27th is my birthday. And this year I'm planning on having a church service on Saturday, February 24th. And after the service, uh, we'll have dinner. So uh, if you got an invitation from me, uh, I will get back to you with the location because my spiritual son is working on that uh, a place for us to do all of this. And so I'll get back to you uh, long before the 24th. So you can make your arrangements if you, you know, would like to attend. And if you would like to attend and you're out of town, I would like for you to let me know, you know, if uh, if not, you know, you can make it. That's fine. That's fine. But um, I hadn't planned on nothing too big, just something, you know, small and simple. And a few family members, a few friends, a few listeners, and we go from there. Yeah. And uh, some people I have not met, but they're local. You know, they're not local, but they're in Florida. And, you know, it's easy for them to come. So for those people, yes, come on. But uh, I just wanted to share that this morning because yesterday uh, that come to me, just, just have a church service and praise God for another year. And uh, afterwards, everybody go in and eat good and drink good and come on out. and We all blessed. Yeah. And so I thank God for that. Yeah. Let me see if Brother Anthony is ready yet. Uh, are you ready yet, Brother Anthony? I need a little bit more time, Ms. Barbara. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let me go to a quick song uh, so he can come back and share. I hadn't heard this one in a minute. I'm going to go to this one.
I actually had um had a chance when I was uh living with my grandmother at a young age. Uh, my grandmother used to clean the church, and um you know I recall time where I would you know go up there in the church in the uh, in the um pool pit and be up there you know and there ain't nobody there so you know I kind of stood in front of the mic you know and. And I believe that was God showing me, you know, he, that, you know, he called me, you know, to, uh, to preach, or uh, you know, and I believe, and I've, I've had that confirmation, you know, and that's being prophesied in my life too, you know, and and I, I would believe, you know, too as well sometimes that, you know, we don't see the same as others see, you know, at times we don't. Think like well, you know, that ain't gonna be me, you know. But we we don't we don't know God's plan for our lives, you know. And you know, I would say over the years, you know, I, I could say I, you know, I strayed and came back, you know. And you know, with that, you know, my what with God, I ain't gonna say it's been gone, but it I would I could say it it, it fluctuated at times, you know. I could say that, and uh, you know, I'm blessed to still have that connection and have God continue to draw me and having his mercy. And I can say with the second guy, you know, just, you know, the, the situation with, you know, dealing with his flesh, you know, with those situations of lust and stuff like that, you know, and me being a man, you know, and I ain't going to say just for men because women too, you know, we, we both, you know what I'm saying, go through that, you know, but I could kind of, reflect on what he said because, you know, I know it's been times, you know, well, I've been in my flesh, you know, and, you know, the the enemy real tricky and and ain't always the enemy too, you know, it's a lot of times it's us, you know, and we got to die to that flesh, you know, daily. And, you know, that's something I remember when I pray, I ask God, to, you know, let me die to this flesh daily that I won't fulfill the lust of my flesh. And, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, <clears throat> Me as a man, I, I know you know I got to work on, and uh, it's 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 not easy. You know I can say that it's not easy. You know even when you get up age, you know what I'm saying, you, you still have those desires. You know to a certain extent, but you know that's where we come in and pray. And you know I was just thinking about Miss Barbara. Oh, that one thing used to pray, and oh, uh, I mean the one clip used to oh play. And the, the old man say, oh, have you accomplished lust yet? And he was like, no, the old man say, no, I'm still working on that. You know, so, you know, that let me know, you know what I'm saying? You, you'll get there, but, you know, that's, that's just something that will be around, you know, tell God to deliver you from that, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's something I, I got to work on. I know that, you know, I, I'm better at it, but I know I need to work on it some more. And, you know, I just continue to pray and ask God to take that uh take that desire or the, the feeling away, you know, because I could do what he called me to do and uh, do his will. And, you know, it, it, it just blessed me to uh, hear that testimony this morning. And I was blessed yesterday. I was, I don't know what happened yesterday uh, with Elder, Elder Moffitt, you know, got on. But, you know, uh, it also blessed me as well. And you hear him, and I enjoy, I enjoy, you know, being on the men line and, just Elder Muffer all day, you know. He 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 
knowledgeable of that word and get in there, he'll break it down to you. He he know that he know he know that Bible and you know, even in the men's group, you know, he the, the men's you know, they, they up some of them younger and older, but you know, as he go along and as he you know, he let us go and he'll let us, you know, do what we gotta do and he'll come in every now and then if you know, he, he correct, you know, he gotta correct you, you know, and that's you know, that's what a leader do, he will correct you, you know what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. you know, I got utmost respect for Elder Montford and the men on the line, and I and as well, he got respect for us, you know, and it's just a blessing. And I'm blessed to, to being able to be connected to him through uh, Brother Frank, and if it wasn't for me meeting you, Miss Barbara, and this ministry, you know, I wouldn't have met Brother Frank. So, you know, it's, best, it's a blessing to me. And, uh, you know, I'm on this highway this morning going on up here. I got to go to Nevada mm. this morning. And uh, I kind of, I was all ready to go, you know, but uh, the people didn't get here till late, you know. But nevertheless, you know, asking, uh, I pray traveling merchants to go, you know, and come. So I know God got me. And, you know, I'm just going on up this road because this is my normal you know, routine with this job, this driving job, every about two, two weeks, two days out of the week, maybe three, depending on how urgent they need the motors or whatever. I I go to different parts of Nevada, the northern part of Nevada, okay. and oh, deliver them, and the guy meet me halfway. And so, kind of getting to learn about Nevada and you know going away. And then even when I go, I think about Brother Frank, you know, because he's way down there in South Nevada in the Vegas, but. I don't go that far, but I'd be kind of, you know, close. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's just a blessing. And, again, it's a blessing, you know, from this morning to hear that word and just let me know I got to stay focused and work on some things that I need to get right, you know. And mm-hmm. I just thank God for that conviction, you know, him for convicting me. And, you know, I, I want to get it right, and I plan on getting it right. And I know it ain't going to happen overnight, but through his will and, as he continues to touch my heart, you know, I, I'm going to get it right, and I'm determined to do that, and I want to do what God has called me to do. So, you know, I just ask y'all just to continue to pray for me and my strength in the Lord and, and my walk, and that he will, you know, continue to guide and direct my path. And I'm praying for y'all and everybody, and y'all, I hope y'all have a blessed awesome day today and the rest of this week. And, oh. Uh, I just appreciate the prayers and I appreciate you, Miss Barbara, continuing to do what you do and you know, they just let me know, you know, I ain't I ain't alone. We all go uh through things uh, and we all have come short, you know, of God's mm-hmm. Lord, but you know, we can't we can't just we can't stay there, you know, we gotta be determined to the you know, pick it pick up I how you say pick up your old pick up your your rug and continue to continue to press on, you know, continue to to reach for that mark, you know, and that's that's where I'm at. I'm still striving, trying to get there, but eventually I will get there, you know. Amen. 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 Yes, Lord. So we thank God. We thank God this morning. I just wanted to make sure you got your testimony in and said what you needed to say this morning. So we thank Amen. God. We thank God. And I'll uh, call maybe uh, Ella Martin later, because he called me last night. I was asleep, so I tried to get a hold of him later, Brother Anthony, and, you know, 
Let them know you're welcome. All right, down there, brother D. I'll see you now, 706. <laughs> God bless you this morning, sir. Praying that all is well. All is well. Yeah, I thank God for showing me that 706 today. That's truly a blessing unto me. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. So if no one else have anything they would like to say this morning, I will pray us out. And we pray the Lord bring us back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if you got somebody you want to invite uh, to speak, just let me know and uh, put them in touch with me. And uh, I'm more than happy to have them come. Uh, if there's somebody uh, you want to come and sing or share something, you know, just let me know. It don't have to be a preacher, you know. It could be some other speaker uh, on something you think is beneficial for us, yeah, the people of God. So, all right, let's pray out. And, again, we pray bring us back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've done already for us this morning. Father, we thank you for leading and guiding us into the afternoon. This is the day that you made. We will rejoice in this day and be glad in it. January 31st, 2024. We thank you this morning, Father, that we can lean and depend on you for all that we need. We thank you that we can cast our cares upon you for you careth for us. Father, we know you said what you meant and you meant what you said. And strengthen us that God will come up in you and obey your word. In the name of Jesus, bless those that are sick this morning here. Lord, I ask that you would touch and heal. We know that you took a beating for the healing of the nation. And there's yet healing in the hem of your garment. Father, we know this morning that it's you that heal all manner of sickness and disease. We ask that you would do it in the name of Jesus. And, Father, we thank you right now for your healing power. Thank you for doing it for your people in the name of Jesus. Bless every household represented here. Father, we ask that you would bless those that are coming through the archives and the podcast this morning. Bless the families, our families, God. Bless the day near and far. Bless our friends near and far in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask that you would strengthen Sherry in this hour. Lift her up and remind her that she can cast her cares upon you, for you care for her. God help Sherry to pray, live and not die, to get the opportunity to declare your works in the name of Jesus, to declare your word in the name of Jesus. Father, bless Kim and Stephen, strengthen them, Lord, as they help her. Lord, give them even more grace and mercy for Sherry. In the name of Jesus. More patience, Lord, for Sherry. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, for February the 16th at 1.30, lead and guide me in the right path. That God, I go down and do what it is you would have me to do concerning this going away service. In the name of Jesus. We thank you. We give you glory. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. And Father, we ask it all again in Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent, one from another, in the name of Jesus. Go today in love and peace, share the good news of Jesus, and give someone something of quality 
God loves a cheerful giver. And we know that God will bless our needs because he supply according to his riches and glory by son Christ Jesus. And today, Father, bless our going out and our coming in, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye and have a blessed day. A blessed day. Oh, uh, yeah, in Jesus' name. So we're going to our last song of the morning. And after this song, I won't be coming back today. All right, I just saw it, Sister Di. I know you're like this one. Well, I thought I I thought I had it for you, but I guess it's it's down in the ball, and I have to really look down in there, so maybe another time we'll get to that one. Oh, my. Okay. Move mm-hmm. in. <laughs> I'll find it.
Take a ride.